yeah, working on East Coast time, but being on the West Coast is the ultimate life hack. Yeah, I'm definitely working teacher hours. Um, <laughs> you know, kind of like that makes six sense. To three. Aren't you a principal? <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. Oh, that pun is so strong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was going to be one of my questions. I should probably wait until we are, we're officially in the show to ask these questions because <laughs> Kevin, you can't be letting those fucking you know those jokes <laughs> fly before before we start going here. I mean, those are good jokes. It, it's been captured. So okay, that's fair. It's it's recording, so we're good. Three, two, one. Kevin, what's wow. up, buddy? Good job. You didn't blow the mic out. I know we're on Zoom and I didn't blow the mic out. Congratulations. He's learning. He's learning. He's growing. Kevin, I have to ask you the first question right off the bat. Who's like, what 13 year old girl's bedroom are you in? No, it's my sister. This is my sister's sister? classroom. Yeah. This is her office. She okay. Teaches, she teaches chemistry out of this. Can I say that this morning you were in this room and there was something behind you? And now I see it's gone. Did you take it down for the uh, podcast recording? Um, I actually put my computer up on a little laptop. Stand. Oh, so you can't see it. Yeah. It's kind well, of not, nice. Not because you book. can't see it because it's a little bit better of an angle, like coming down. Oh, for your lighting? Yeah. Well, yeah, I was having that yeah. problem for, 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 yes, for recording. I'm quite, maybe I should drop my chair down. Okay. Okay. Now we're yeah. rocking. Um, we have a special guest here today, so we don't need to do too much upfront uh, time killing. Yeah, we don't um, need too much planned banter. No, we have no planned banter because we have an actual guest in the house. It's at the crowd noise now. Oh, yeah. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> nice to uh, Thomas Wilder is here. We actually booked a guest. Congratulations to us. And uh, we're very excited. Thomas, welcome to the program. Thank you guys for having me. I'm super stoked to be here. And uh, I'm, I'm told I'm supposed to give a bio. And we're going to yeah. try this for the first time ever on this podcast, right? In the first, third person. We're yeah. going to do something bio. new here because um, traditionally I do the bios. And so we didn't have an up-to-date bio. Um, so we're going to ask you to do your own bio for the program. So we'll see how this goes. I think it's going to be great. So yeah. Thomas, introduce yourself. Uh, so uh, Thomas Wilder is the global principal of design at Wolf Owens. Yes. My most recent job update. Um, previous to that, I was an executive creative director at Sweetgreen. Uh, which... uh, please, please refer to yourself in the third person. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, yeah, 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 Thomas yeah. was a executive creative director at Sweetgreen, uh, where I led the brand studio for the past two years. He, 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 Thomas, he, he, right. Correct. Um, and prior to that, I spent uh, he, he spent he yes eight years at Collins as partner and creative director. So uh, I won't go in to the rest of the bio because I think I would botch it too many times at this point. Oh. So uh, between first and third person, you did great. Well, you did a great <laughs> job. Congratulations, Thomas. Um, I think that worked as good as Kevin and I hoped it would. Uh, I think <laughs> yeah. you're setting the new trend, which is guests <laughs> introducing themselves. Uh, Thomas, thank you for coming on. Um, obviously, uh, you and I have been internet friends. Our, our paths have crossed quite a bit in the real world. Um, and I always use this podcast to um, try to figure out how I know people. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> I, I don't know when you and I met, but um, 
probably back in in Colin's years when you were there and I was working on Coke stuff and you weren't working. We we didn't work together, but I feel like we paths we our our paths crossed in a couple different times. Yeah, I think you were actually working or you I think you were working on the vitamin water work with Ben quite right. a bit. And uh, yes, you were frequent in our office and it was great. I think I would always be jealous when I would look at you and Ben working on stuff. I would be like, oh, why am I not a part of this? So (laughs) that makes me happy. I like to think that those were those were glory years. You know, those are those are good times. And I remember distinctly, I went to the Museum of Moving Image for the Jim Henson exhibit. And you worked on that, right, quite a bit. And I remember I did. getting to go to the opening, which was really dope. And uh, I remember chatting there a bit. But And then I think we've like been to similar conferences and stuff. But um, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Of course. Yeah. Like I said, I'm stoked. So let's, <laughs> let's get rolling. And oh, it's yeah. funny because we've been talking about this is the show. This is the role. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you're waiting for it to start. It's, it's already started. Um, no, um, I, we've been talking about this you coming on the show we've been probably planning this for what you know three three months or so you've got since that time you've you have a new job so you're now uh, the global principal at wolf loans i guess the first question is what does that mean really good question it is only like day 13 so i think <laughs> it would be uh it's maybe early in the saga to actually talk about like what it will be I joined Wolf Owens uh, from Sweetgreen, mostly because in the agency world, you're surrounded by, I think, people that just are obsessed with creativity, right? Okay. I mean, it's like what we do all day long. And I think at Sweetgreen, you you sell a product or a service or kind of, a, uh, in, in our case, salads, bowls, healthy food. And I think um, I missed being around people that kind of eat, drank creativity all day long. And uh, I wanted to kind of go back to the agency side and see if there was an opportunity to kind of like fuel my own personal creativity through those kind of different people I would work with. So Wolf Owens reached out and uh, always been a huge fan of their work. I mean, if you guys are like any kind of, I think, like branding or, um, you know, design history. How do you spell it? Wolf Owens? <laughs> yeah. We are but I, I mean, you know, I came into the game when... I guess like I recognize things like AOL and London 2012 and like all that kind of craziness that Wolf Owens was doing like um, back in the day. And I was just like, how are they getting away with this? I've always kind of, I think, admired that from afar. And even the places that I've tried to join or the brands that I tried to work on kind of have a similar approach or attitude to that kind of thinking. So felt like this is like a pretty cool opportunity to try to, to try to, um, be part of that history. I mean, they've been around for like 60 years, so it's pretty insane. So what I'm hearing through the lines is you got you got tired of kale salads, uh cow Caesars. <laughs> Shit, I I botched my own fucking joke. I waited <laughs> 20 fucking 20 minutes to get that joke out. Um you got you got tired of kale Caesars, you know? Sweet grand, they only have so many salads on the menu. They're all delicious. <laughs> but there's only so many times you can have guacamole greens. That's what I'm reading. That's what I'm hearing. Your vibe might have been a little kaled at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um yeah, no, it's funny because like we've been talking about you coming on the show, and so all of our questions are, are Sweetgreen related. So that's um, perfectly fine. We're, we're I... going <laughs> to ask you Sweetgreen questions, but no, I mean obviously Wolf Owens. I mean, it makes sense, right? You spent how many years at Collins? Almost eight years. Yeah, eight years. So that's a ton yeah. of time. You, you worked on Sweetgreen while you were at Collins, right? So yeah. can you tell us a little bit about how that worked in terms of like going from 
working on the agency side for brand and then sort of going to the brand? Because I think people would be curious about yeah. hearing some of that story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was working on the brand for, I think, 10 months. Um, when they first came to us, it was for more of a brand identity strategy kind of assignment, you know? And uh, when I first met the co-founders, I think what stuck out to me the most, Nathaniel Rue, which is the one that we wound up working with the most, was um, the case studies that they were interested in seeing. You know, you know that you guys know this. It's like when a client comes in the room, a lot of times you're like, okay, you're a food brand. So you probably want to see all the food work that we've done, right? Sure. You probably want to see the stuff that we've done for, I don't know, snacks or, you know, whatever, Chobani or whatever it is that we had worked on. And they were like, no, we're actually really interested in like this Spotify work, Dropbox, and like these other kind of more tech platforms. And I think that just struck me as very, very different to how they were thinking about their business. So fast forward, we start working on the project, work with them for about 10 months. For me, it was one of those experiences where, you know, it's just a client you don't want to stop working with. And I was like, I hope that we could continue this into every possible activation of this brand and as the kind of i think project was winding down they were super interested in building a collins-esque brand studio inside of mm. sweet green and so i kind of gave them some names and i was like you know it could be yeah you know, this person that i worked with before or whatever <laughs> and i think eventually it just kind of like got to the conversation of like well yeah would you be interested in the opportunity of leading that brand studio or uh you know is is this kind of a shared interest and i had a long a lot of long conversations with brian and the other partners at collins at the time and it just felt like the right move if i was going to go in-house this yeah. brand seemed to be like actually doing the stuff it was saying and they did really want like a healthier future for people and my mom's a biologist and she like talks about you know like climate change more than anyone else i know so for me i was like man mm. this is the ultimate mom approval in this sense i remember when you first made the move i was super jealous because i remember you know i've been i'm a very jealous guy right and when it comes especially when it comes to like cool creative jobs and cool creative like brands like sweet green has been one of my favorite brands for maybe really uh, yeah for like since they started i remember the first time i ever went into one of their first locations in new york and everyone was wearing beats don't kill my vibe shirts and i had been eating chopped almost every day because i was working on madison avenue in, in, in what 28th in madison like worst part of midtown at the coca-cola office and so for lunch i would just eat these like awful chopped salads and so when sweet green came into the world it was like a revelation like i it was just like so much better and then the vibe inside of the store was great and the just everything about sweet green just like spoke to me I, and i i instantly got it i was like oh shit this is like it reminded me of vitamin and i it just was basically like the little things from the copy to the music to the just the whole brand experience felt like it was the next big thing and i it, i was like it was like 15 minute walk from our office and i was like fuck it it's worth it it's like a solid 15 minutes each way, which in the middle of a long, you know, of a working day, that's a long walk, like, especially when you work in Midtown, like there's, you know, there's many places closer. And so I would just <laughs> constantly go and I just was like a huge fan. And I actually um, kind of harassed them about trying to become part, like when I was at Coke to go to Sweetgreen and work in-house because I, when I was thinking about leaving Coke, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure what my next move was, and I was looking at brands that I really believed in. And I was like, Sweetgreen is 
one of those top, top, top brands. And uh, one of my friends, Farron Wiener, was like working as like digital marketing yeah. over there. And so I just kind of like, I had a meeting with her and I uh, was trying to sort of get my way into Sweetgreen in a creative role. And they were not interested in sort of, I think the founders were doing most of the creative direction at the time and they weren't interested in sort of giving that up. Um, <laughs> that was the story, at least that I was told as I was like trying desperately to make my way in. And so when I remember Sweetgreen became a Collins client, I was like, fuck, so jealous. And then eventually when you went over there, I was like, man, you know, uh, I'm glad that, you know, someone, one of us is now, you know, they've, they've given the, uh, the reins over to, to someone that's going to do a great job. And Collins did a great job, I thought, with the branding system. But I'm a, I'm a sweet green fanboy. I guess that's where it's all comes down to. So um, talk to me a little bit about sort of like what, you know, obviously what that job was like, sort of the brand system you had built at Collins was, was, was probably ready to go and it was starting, it was ready rolling out. And so what were some of the things you were doing while sort of in-house? Was it building that team? Was it sort of brand extension work? Was it just making sure that the work was brought to the world in the right way or just a kind of combination of all those things? Yeah, I think it definitely was a, a combo. I think the, you know, you obviously have in-house experience. So you kind of know there is like um, a lot of complexity to like bringing design and good design into the yeah. world, I think. And, um, you know, when I think we were kind of simultaneously building out the creative studio and building the rebrand at the same time. So mm -hmm. when I first got there, the team was actually quite small, but the goal was to grow the brand studio so that it had capabilities across, you know, design, art direction, strategy, um, brand management or client services, if you wanted to call it that, right? That kind of um, more business acumen and then even into production, social media, things like that. So it was kind of all encompassing of every single touch point where somebody would experience the brand. Sure. You would function as this kind of in-house studio that partnered with what was essentially maybe, you know, several other teams internally, right? Whether that's you're partnering with the technology team or you're partnering with the growth team or the marketing team, you're you're essentially, you have clients, but you're collaborating with them all in the same cause because you all work for the same brand. Um, so. One part was building that studio out and just building the muscle of brand out. I think to your point of what you illustrated about the founders is brand is like intrinsic, like it's just there at Sweetgreen. Yeah. Like they get it, right? They um, <laughs> they founded it. They have good taste. Yeah. And so I think over time, as you scale, you know, taste is great because it keeps kind of the North Star in play. But you do also need some kind of like design and systems building and also kind of, you know, when you're introducing yourself to new audiences, it takes a whole other kind of presence in a way, especially as they expand to beyond like the coast, so I'll call it. So one, one remit was definitely building out the studio. The second was, is, yeah, bringing the brand system to life. So thinking about kind of how the identity system would roll out across, you know, physical, digital, um, marketing comms signage systems i mean it's kind of crazy when you have like a physical footprint i, I sure. don't even think i realized the scale um and then on the on the end of it i think um just a lot of uh, learnings and 
building relationships inside of the company so that everyone could kind of rally around the idea of brand and what the sweet green brand could be and kind of trying to live out the mission that they've always had. So, yeah, I thought from the beginning, they did a good job with brand. They didn't do a great job with design. You know, they like had good instincts, like the stores were cool. They had like those music festivals, but just, you know, some of the, it it took them a while to kind of get the design to match the brand feeling. Cause there were start, you know, they, 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 they start to have lines out the door and they started to like, you know, make waves for themselves. And everyone sort of found out about how great Sweet Green was. But I think it was, you know, I think Grand Army did some work for them maybe at mm-hmm. some point. And then yep. Collins brought in the new system. And how big did that design team internally, how how big did that get? Or how big is that think, today, do you know? I think it's probably, it was around 25-ish when I left, something like that. Um and so, and then it flexed up and down depending on freelancers, right? So like some bigger projects or like partnerships or huge productions or something like that. If it was like a video, you know, commercial shoot or something like that, you would scale it up. But, um, sure. you know, big enough to be big enough to be dangerous, I guess, <laughs> is what they say. Right? That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, before we get off Sukin, what's what's your go-to water? Like what, what, do, you, what do you get in there? Or how sick oh. are you of Sukin? <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> Two-part question. Well... Yeah. I mean, my go-to order used to be the Harvest Bowl before joining Sweetgreen. And I used to just Mm -hmm. get it all the time, which I did later find out is like a very popular item. (laughs) Um, And so then I started to do a lot more customization and seasonal bowls when I would get inside. The seasonal bowls are definitely where it's at, I have to say, because like five times a year they switch out the menu. And then there's two different bowls like during that season. So you can kind of alternate plus go like to a regular item. But um, I would say the other thing that I started to do towards the end is I would just start to hack it in a way where I would like go in mm-hmm. and I would just like buy ingredients for a stir fry at home and treat it kind of more like a supermarket. And then mm-hmm. I would just like go and throw them in like the wok at home, yeah. cook them up and just be like, great. Now we're having stir fry, <laughs> like even though it's with these like fresh yeah. ingredients from sweet green. Would you be eating sweet green five times a week? I would say at more points than I would like to admit I was eating sweet green five times more a week. I think, yeah. I think you could. I mean, for lunch, I think it's the perfect lunch, right? Like, I don't think I get sick of it. And I honestly only order two salads and I just kind of alternate. One is kale Caesar and then one's like a custom kind of miso goat cheese kind of bowl with sweet potatoes. Like, and I think that for me is enough. And I would just, yeah, I could eat it every single day. And I do, um, I follow um, the the handsome founders, um, all three of them. Um, and I was the handsome bald guy. Um, I don't know. His name. I don't know their names, by the way. Nick. So no disrespect, yes. but they all seem very <laughs> cool and very handsome and have like amazing lives. Um, even more now amazing because they sold the company and I assume they're, 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 they're incredibly wealthy. He does a lot of the hacking. He yes. does like, he'll take a sweet green salad and then he'll bring it home and, he'll start, you know, sort of concocting some crazy things. Kevin, you would appreciate it. Kevin is a chef. And yeah, I, I would like to expand on the uh, hacking. That yeah. You oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it was actually a thing that most of the internal team did that I just learned from them. Like they would do everything from like, yeah, again, just treat it like a supermarket. They would go in and get the ingredients for like a quesadilla. And then they would have the tortilla at home, fold it over, yeah. put all the ingredients in. And also there's like, um, when it came to like the stir fry, like, uh alex was saying about the miso dressing right it's like you just get extra miso dressing throw that in there and then you already have it all like ready to go but it's all fresh 
Uh, or like, I think we would do like different Buffalo kind of techniques, right? Like Buffalo mm. sandwiches, things like that. Yeah. And you would take the Buffalo sauce and put it on and make like a, you know, a Buffalo chicken sandwich kind of thing out of the blackened chicken or whatever. Um, blackened chicken rules. Like that was such a big, <laughs> like the chicken was going back to chopped, like the chicken from chopped always tasted so fake and artificial. And I think that was a big part of what made Sri Green so popular. It was like, oh my God, this actually tastes like chicken. And then they brought in that blackened chicken. And I mean, this is what our podcasters love to listen to is us talking about sort of <laughs> sweet cream. But like the blackened chicken is so good. It tastes so like juicy and like it feels like dark meat, like real actual chicken. And then that miso dressing, if you're not getting that miso dressing in sweet cream, you do not know what you're missing. It's like so delicious. Garlic, miso, just perfect. And then the hot sauce, sweet cream's hot sauce, I think is one of the most under underappreciated things on planet earth it is a really good hot sauce and kevin makes his own hot sauce and so um have you had it kevin you've ever i, I feel so. like you I'm, don't fuck I, with sweet I, green enough i mean i don't really go to sweet green all that much yeah um yeah it's not i don't really live by one and i don't i don't work in midtown so yeah well there now yeah. there's one in williamsburg but it's still far and like the only yeah the part about sweet green that sucks is like if i want to get a salad delivered to greenpoint from williamsburg it's roughly 45 dollars. so like that is the challenge of getting <laughs> a sweet green salad which listen i'm willing to do it because i love sweet green so much but it, it's it, it's not that close to our office but it is i mean i probably i was part of the loyalty program um like yes. I, I don't you know like where you can kind of like achieve points i don't know if they still do this anymore for one year <laughs> One year I ate so much sweet green that I was like a gold member and they sent me like a hat, a hoodie and like a personal letter. And I was like, thank you, Alex, for, for your, for your service. Like that's how much oh. sweet green I was eating. Did you hear about I him ate. when you were working in house on the bulletin board? Um, I do. I do have to say it's interesting. Like you, especially with the really loyal customers, right? Like there is like gold and black status that um, Alex yeah. is talking about. And it, mm-hmm. it's like, they become almost like yeah, friends of sweet green. They're like family at some point because of how much they, they are eating at the restaurant. So, so Alex wasn't uncommon. in the top, top tier. <laughs> I, I don't think I ever make, I made it to black status. I think I was always <laughs> like gold. And like, it's funny because I don't understand people that really earned like Amex points or like Delta status, like plane status. You know, how, you know, there's so many people out yeah. there like, oh my God, I'm getting on a flight tomorrow. Why? I just had to get status or keep my status. I'm like, what? Who cares? Like, why you why do you care about your, you know, jet blue or delta status? Like, it doesn't mean anything to me personally. But sweet green status <laughs> was something I was like, I was calculating like how many salads do I have to get a week to get to this next tier? And like the tier was like you get a private party for your friends or some shit like that. It was God, like that's it wild. was some pretty good. Yeah, like, there was there was like partnerships with like celebrity chefs and stuff like that and yeah like dinner type settings and things like that at sweet green it was like the yeah some of the those kind of loyalty program offerings are like pretty specific they were pretty cool i uh just remembered the story i so i got a hat i have a sweet green like a dad hat and i i used to wear it sometimes because and that's how big of a fan of the brand i am like i once was wearing a hat and i wore it to one of the to the sweet to williamsburg locations and uh th- i think they thought i was one of the like one of the founders or i worked for the brand and they treated me so well and like i actually became so close this is having nothing to do with the hat this is only about my love for sweet green where i would go so often that i knew the manager and they would sort of like he would come out and say hello to me and like we we had a I had a pretty good relationship with with the local staff there and i just think sweet green is one of those brands that just gets all the things right and like i think people mistake branding and design quite a bit mm-hmm. and i think going back to like you know some some somewhat serious 
topic. Like I do think people like think about brand and they're like, oh, their logo and their typefaces and their art direction. Like branding is so much more than that. And it's about, it's a feeling. And I think when you know, you know it when a brand has it. And I think you walk into any sweet green and you're like, whoa, what is this? And you really understand that they, they, they've really thought through every piece of the process, every part of the experience from the menu to the fucking music, to the staff, to the, to, you know, to, to the actual products and the sort of the app and every single thing they get right over there. And this feels like an ad for Sweetgreen, but I just, I've always thought that they do a great job and they continue to sort of do a better and better job from a design standpoint. But I think they've always had the right instincts from a brand perspective. And that's why they're so successful. And I think they went public right last year. Is yes. that true? Yeah. And awesome. I think you're, I think you're totally right that, uh, the the products also and the people that are working there like the energy that you get at a restaurant by the people that are there the team members i think like that's where you experience the brand firsthand right and they kind of are emblematic of that and then i would say the second thing as far as like the product goes it was kind of a dream project when i started working on it because it you know it wasn't one of those things where a client comes to you and they're like oh we need a totally new audience we need to like completely, you know, shift our focus or something like that. I mean, they had great products. It was like people were obsessed with the the food because it, the quality is so high, the standards of what they do is so high, the sustainable kind of way and practices that they bring the food to you is really well thought out and considered. So I just think that's that's like great. Like you said, yeah. let's build a design <laughs> system and, you know, brand yeah. on top of that and keep it keep it going. In some ways you're trying to match. Yeah. In some ways you're trying to match the like design and to the brand that already is beloved in a way, right? You're just trying to make it like to the point where you're not, not fucking it up. Right. Or you're trying to match the love that people have for sweet green to, you know, sort of the way that it looks. And I think that's what, that's really what Collins did. It like, you look at it, you're like, oh, this is all really wonderful. It just matches the sort of ready modern and sort of wonderful, joyful, you know, natural experience of what Sweet Green is. So I guess before we get off of this, um, uh, we had a couple of questions about sort of, uh, I love the lettuce in the teeth sort of uh, campaign. Who, who, who came up with that? Where did that come from? Well, that was actually something that they had started uh, even before I joined the brand. Um, that was actually something they had done as like a one-off years ago. Um, and it was kind of about, um, I think what was interesting is it came out of this like truth, right? People get stuff stuck in their teeth and salad and it's awkward. Right. And it's kind of like, I think a a celebration of just like, it's okay because you're eating healthy. Right. And like that, like it's, it's almost in a, a sense to tie it back, I think to design history or advertising history, you could look at it as like a got milk kind of situation, right. Where it's just like embracing the natural thing that occurs when you (laughs) bite into a salad so and that's um, what makes it so perfect it's like it's just a human truth and it's just like so simple it's like kale gets caught in your teeth and instead of like trying just make that make that famous and it's just like it's a simple idea and it's beautifully executed and i just i love it so much and i i did you, you know that fact about kale about how like uh pizza hut was like the number one um purchaser of kale through like all of like the nineties and really? it was because, and so the reason why is because they would put it on their salad bar, not in the salad oh, bar around oh, like, it. 
Yeah, like as decoration. A presentation. Yes. Yeah. And so that was the number that up until Cal became famous in like whatever, 2006 or something, like Pizza Hut was actually the biggest purchaser. And it was only because it looked beautiful around the ice on their sort of salad bar. So very resilient green. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great Top. green. Yeah. But it is funny to, I guess sweet did sweet green didn't make kale famous, but they really kind of uh, took it and, and and ran with it. I think I'll give them that credit as well. Yeah, I mean it was in a, it's in a lot of the big the bigger dishes. I would say you know the kale Caesar, the harvest bowl, like a lot of them are the the staples. I'll call them all involved mm. kale. So yeah, guacamole Kevin, greens no, but yes, one that comes to mind is uh, I made that beat famous. Yes, yes, that's right. They have some, yeah, they have good, they're fans of hip hop. They have, you know, they, they got, they got some, they, 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 they know what they're doing. Um, how did, when would did Naomi Asaka become part of the brand and sort of how was that? Cause we talked about it on the show when it first happened and pretty quickly she had, she, she dropped out of the US Open or whatever tournament that was. Yeah. And it sort of became like a really big moment for her and then a big moment for the brand and sort of, yeah, do you have any insights or any anything from like that moment in time? Uh, yeah, it was it was kind of a crazy whirlwind because I it also was all taking place during COVID, and um, yeah. I think what was really crazy is I had just started maybe two three weeks in to the brand. Obviously, like I said, there was a lot of stuff going on building the studio and kind of trying to do the rebrand of sorts. But yeah. um, one of the conversations that came up was. Um, thinking through partners, partnership strategy, ways to amplify the kind of sweet green message and who might the right people be. It was really just like an email thread. And Nate was like, hey, can I talk to you quick about a potential partner? Next thing I know, we were talking to Naomi and Naomi's team. And maybe it was like a month later or something like that. We're shooting her on the top of the Silver Lake Sweet Green in kind of like an announcement post for the brand. And she's becoming our first kind of brand ambassador as a celebrity. And I think what you said, Alex, is dead right, is the reason why we selected her isn't because of that she's an amazing tennis player. She stands for so much more beyond just tennis. And I think what Sweet Green is trying to do is beyond food, just about kind of a healthy lifestyle that could be mental or physical or what you eat or not, but trying to talk to people and have people speak about kind of that similar message, I think was the reason for partnering with her. Yeah. And we're still partnering with her. I mean, she's still a brand ambassador and an investor in the brand. Yeah. And she's awesome. And she just like, she just feels authentic and real. And I watched a documentary about her on Netflix, which was great. And you get to see that she's, you know, she loves tennis, but she's also a real human that struggles like everyone else does, no matter how talented they are, what they do, or how much they love what they're, you know, their passion. In. And I think, I don't know, it just felt like a perfect fit. And, you know, I always bring everything back to vitamin water and like 50 cent was such a big part of our sort of, you know, kind of first introduction of the brand to the masses, right? Even though we were sort of popular in LA and New York, but like when it, when that moment hit for 50 cent and vitamin water, it was, it was, it was, it was a perfect match. And I think when it comes to brand partnerships and sort of celebrities, I think it's it's tricky, right? Because especially in these these days where you can align yourself to someone and then tomorrow they could do something totally out of pocket or you know, you're sort of tied to that person if they fuck up in any real way. So I don't know. I remember thinking that like she just was kind of like a perfect sweet green ambassador because she was both an athlete, but she was sort of culturally very relevant and still remains culturally relevant. And I think that's what 
I don't know. I think that's what Suikin, it's to your point, it's like, it's a salad company, but salads, they've made it not about salads at all. They made it a culturally cool brand. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's, I, I just can't say enough about what they've been doing. And obviously you're a part of it. And so I think that's what's, um, yeah, I just like to see them win because I'm a fan. And like, you know, when you become attached to something more than you should, <laughs> you have no, I have, I've, I've tr- as much as I try to get inside and be a part of it, which is like, you know, that's what I, I love being a part of brands that I love. And so when I, you know, I couldn't get a part of it, be a part of it, but I, from the outside, I've just been like, yeah, keep, keep doing dope shit. And Devin Booker now it's like, they do, they just, they continue to kill it. People feel it when it's fake, right? Like if it's really not right for the brand, like I feel like I've seen so many brand partnerships recently with like how many different creators and people and, um, you know, it, some of them feel like spot on and you're like, yeah, that's a perfect fit for them. Other ones you're just like, if somebody was like, Let's get more Gen Z. How do we do it? You know, and and that's yeah. kind of the. Mm-hmm. What does Lady Gaga know about taking pictures? <laughs> what, does, <laughs> what does Lady Gaga know about Polaroid? <laughs> oh, Kevin, uh, question. Um, did you see? Speaking of partnerships that um, maybe feel like someone is in it for the bag versus uh, really, uh, you know, true partnership. Um, did you see the little Nas X vitamin water commercial, Kevin? I did. I did see that. How do you feel about that? Kevin is a little Nas X supporter. He's he was a big fan early, like before the big explosion. And um, I don't know where Kevin, where do you stand now with Little Nas X? Yeah, I mean, I don't I think it's just more of a testament to kind of vitamin water being a little outdated. Um mm, mm. I don't know. It I I think they're trying very hard. It That's feels like they're trying too hard. And I think that is yeah. He, I, mean, I don't know if he necessarily makes sense with vitamin water. Like you know, he. I, I'd say it makes more sense with like Liquid Death, but I don't think they really do like Brandon Bastards like that. So they just did that video. Who the, who was in the sort of Brett Kreischer or whatever? Oh, Bert. Do you see that thing? Yeah, but I'm like not Bert Kreischer's like no, he's just in. He's not on the same. He's not not, not on the same no. pedigree. He's not the same pedigree as Little Nas X. But yeah, yeah. Um, Thomas, uh, as part of the show, um, we talk about the news and branding and design. And so um, as much as I have questions about sort of, uh, you know, I, I could have, we could literally talk here all day about sort of <laughs> Dropbox and Target and <laughs> all the amazing Twitch and Colin's work. Like we could go on and on and on, but I was interested and definitely thank you for sharing some of the stuff about Sweet Green. Cause I think that is, um, yeah, that's it's one of my personal favorite brands and it's cool to sort of hear some stories on uh, about what it was like there. Um, we're going to talk about the sort of the, the news. Uh, uh, we gave you these topics what twenty minutes ago. Yes. <laughs> so um, you you formulated takes. Um, hey, I sent an email. Takes. I sent an email last night. So <laughs> Kevin, I, I will give Kevin some credit. Kevin sent an email last night to you. Was like, here's a sample episode that we've done in the past. Here are the topics for tomorrow. And uh, Kevin, that's good producing. Uh, something some some just, wire got tripped up. I think some email you know never landed in your inbox. Let's blame Google. Let's blame Wolf Olin's email. Is that that's let's blame Wolf Olin's. Um, but not Kevin. Kevin did his job. You you've <laughs> you've known about these topics for 20 minutes, but I think we could just kind of fire through them. I've written op-eds on all of them, so I'm that's I'm good. Totally that's prepared. What, <laughs> it's probably like prepared. 15 more minutes than Alex usually spends preparing. <laughs> to be fair, um, <laughs> this is the first time I'm reading any of this stuff. I I I look through it, I'm like, cool, 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 let's go. So the big story of the week is that the Chaco Taco is dead. RIP. That is yeah. a pretty um this this news broke 
Monday evening here on the East Coast. And, um, you know, first thing I had to say was too bad. Hate to see it. Um, I personally, I don't think a chocolate taco is, is a good, is, is a good snack. I'm gonna, I'm coming out the gate hot. I thought there were, you know, again, I was like, oh, this is going to be a big deal. People are going to start to get, you know, the nostalgia, um, is going to make people start to get up in arms and be like, what? You can't get rid of Choco Taco. When was the last time anyone had a Choco Taco? I do not believe that people are eating Choco Tacos in 2022. Why they're going away. That's why they're going away because people don't fucking eat them. So I kind of feel two types of way about this. I agree with you. It's a sad day that it's going away completely. Yeah. But my first question is, why did they do this during the summer? Like if you were a person that was been in brand or marketing for a really long time, you would let this thing go in winter. No one's Mm. eating the Choco Taco except on the West Coast markets or in like South markets, except for, you know, summer, maybe. So looking like a a guy who's worked with a food brand. Yeah, that's a great insight. (laughs) I think, but I think Thomas, you're actually onto something. I'm, you just opened up my, my third eye here. I think this is the perfect time to announce that Choco Taco is going to be going out. Oh, so you think this is a yeah, stunt? You get the, yeah, you get the spike. I think you're like, whoa, this is now, this is the biggest marketing campaign that Choco Taco has ever had, which is <laughs> it's on every fucking CNN, it's on every website, and everyone is now clamoring to go get a Choco Taco before they're out of business. Yeah, this really did set the internet ablaze. Like, it really I did. Saw, yeah, I saw an everywhere. article, like article from the Washington Post that were like, politicians tweeting about it like i don't know it's kind of it's it's extremely dumb like they got they definitely got bigger things to worry about but you know (laughs) third eye open here um they're pulling it off during the summer to get it to spike and Mm -hmm. it's going to be back next summer this is like the mexican pizza thing at taco bell right you get people like it's it's not doing that well and um and but you want to let people know that if they don't eat their taco tacos it's they may not exist and so I think they're, I think they're fucking playing us all. Yeah, it's kind of a weird move. It's almost like a, uh, you know, a partner who's like, oh yeah, you don't appreciate me. We're breaking up. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, create, That's right. You, uh, you know, mm-hmm. spark the desire again. You're like, oh, I kind of, yep. I miss, I miss them. You know, like I want them <laughs> back. Yeah, yeah. I remember all the good times we had. Yeah, and then like, you, and then you remember like, oh, I haven't had a good time with them in you know, in years. I think you're also <laughs> right where it's like when you were talking about the Mexican pizza, because that's where my mind went, but those things all come in and out of fashion, right? They bring them back when you have missed them the most. And I feel like, I mean, kudos to the Choco Taco for the longevity, right? I mean, they have just been in the game for a really long time, but four decades, this article says. So, (laughs) but, but if you did more of a strategy around like Doritos Loco Taco, you know, kind of in like when Taco Bell blew up with that, I feel mm-hmm. like that would be that would be the move that we're all talking about, right? You bring it back every summer at a certain moment for like two weeks and just blitz the industry. Yeah, I have a good quote. It says uh, from the uh, Klondike, which is the parent company of Unilever. Um, wait, Unilever is the parent company of Klondike. Man. Okay, o- yeah. over they're, yeah. they're over on the that past- they're on that big chart. That's right. Over the everything. past two years, we've experienced an unprecedented spike in demand across our portfolio and have to make a very tough decision to ensure availability of our full portfolio nationwide. They're just like, um, uh, 
this is the uh, statement that was made to the Washington Post. So they wanted to get this to everyone. A necessary but unfortunate part of this process is that we sometimes must discontinue products, even a beloved item like Chaco Dago. So they're claiming that like the portfolio, <laughs> like what else is in that sort of like Klondike portfolio that like pumped out the Chaco Taco? Yeah. Uh, sort of. Uh, from, I mean, I guess the at, the end, list. at the end of the day, it's, um, you know, what would you do for a Klondike bar is, yeah. you know, you'd do much more than what you would do for a Chaco Taco. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Can I tell you what my beef is with the chocolate taco? It's always soggy. The taco inside of it is always, it does, it's not crunchy whatsoever. So it's just like kind of like a soggy taco inside of chocolate and ice cream, which is like fine, but clearly people don't fuck with it. So I think we need to retool it. I think we need to go back to the lab and yeah. create chocolate taco 2.0. Yeah. And uh, that's what I would do. I think it's an ice cream treat that's been coasting off its name for 40 years. Mm. <laughs> It's it's a great name, all time name. That Kevin, this is like when someone told me that Carmelo Anthony wouldn't be as popular if he wasn't named Carmelo Anthony. I agree. Choco Taco, great name. Eh, dessert. That's 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 my take. Um, let's move on. But here's my last thought. It's going to be back. Like this isn't the end. They'll sort of oh, bring it back. It'll, yeah, you definitely. know, the, 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 someone else will. They'll, they'll broker a deal to bring the Choco Taco <laughs> back. This is. I've seen this a couple too many times. Like Toys R Us died, fucking like the Mexican pizza died. Like again, I think we're being played here, and the Chaco Taco is the latest story. Um, moving Taco on. Taco Bell poised to come back at Taco Bell. Maybe so. Who knows? Dude, it would be on brand. Taco Bell would do that in a second. They fucking fucking release a press release. Chaco Taco's coming to Taco Bell. Makes perfect sense, Kevin. Let's get uh, them on the horn. Um, <laughs> Paris Hilton is the latest spokesperson for a uh, brand partnership for the brand Hilton, the brand that her family has owned for uh, decades. Um, this came across yesterday, so it's pretty new. There's a new campaign, advertising campaign done by, just know that some big advertising agency <laughs> is bringing a campaign for Hilton um, featuring Paris herself. To me, this is this is brilliant advertising because believe it or not, this is the thought I had in the shower this morning. I've never totally connected the Hilton brand to Paris Hilton. I feel like that is something that like, she's one of the most famous people on planet earth. Obviously she became famous as the sort of heir to, or part of this you know billion dollar family. But I think her, the Paris Hilton and Hilton hotels, those two do not in my brain connect. And I think bringing her into the commercials and to bring her in as a spokesperson for Hilton Hotels. I don't know why this took so long, but I think it's perfect. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, my biggest question was, why has this taken so long? And <laughs> right. why is this not featuring more of her family members? I'll be honest, I'm. Uh, this is going to probably come as a surprise. Maybe not. No. My wife is a huge Housewives fan. Okay. Um, and I... Because I don't watch do anything else in the evening. Also watch Housewives with her now religiously. And I'm up to date on almost every series. I don't mess <laughs> with Dubai. I don't mess with certain ones. But anyways. Okay. Sorry. Can I pause right. you real quick? This Go is ahead. a safe space for trashy reality television. Oh, so, yeah. so Love it. I, um, Kevin doesn't, Kevin watches The Bachelor. So he's, I will say, he, Great. but he's not fully, you know, he's not fully in, but he's, he's in enough. He watches The Bachelor. I watch Real Housewives of New York. I watch. I started Dubai. I watched Salt Lake City. 
but I am, and I, I used to watch like Orange County back in the day, but I right. am, so I'm not fully on every single season, but I, um, I watch almost everything. Love Island and fucking like all, like I watch so much bad reality. So yeah. continue on. So I'm, I'm super glad because that just like, I'm glad to know there's other garbage humans. Like I feel like so bad watching it, but at the same time, I feel like it's the same way of like decompressing from work, right? Like I don't have to think about anything when I watch this other than wow. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that's, that's the only emotion I have is wow, I have I found, <laughs> I have found that this is the perfect reason or argument for why I, how I can defend the fact that I watch so much trashy reality television. It's because during the day I need to use my brain quite a bit. So from like 10 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., I am actively working my brain a lot. And when I get home, 8 p.m., I need to turn that shit off. And there's no better way to do it than Fuckboy Island on HBO. And I'm just it, telling you that right now. Like, <laughs> if for those out there that are looking for a way to, uh, you know, and I, I'm, I'm actually, I used to be obviously embarrassed by it or sort of shamed by it. I am no longer that. I am now yeah. confident that it is not just a tool, it is a critical tool to my success. <laughs> <laughs> so so I know you don't watch all of the franchises. Yes, yes but, but I'm familiar go, with Kathy Hilton and her role. Yes. Exactly. So if you go to the Beverly Hills, Kathy was introduced, I believe it was last year. Yeah. And Kathy is an absolute rock star in her own right. <laughs> I mean, that that's that franchise, mm-hmm. I feel like was just going down and Kathy really came in and uh-huh. saved it. Honestly, it was just, wow. she's so perfect in every episode. And so um, what I think maybe this will be for Hilton yeah. is Paris is now coming in for Hilton hotels and providing that same mm. trajectory mm. that Kathy has provided the Beverly Hills franchise. So I, th- I think that's you're my right. take on that. <laughs> I love it. And I agree. The family, you know, they're, they're interesting. Um, I hate to one up you on, on, uh, as a guest on my <laughs> show um, with cringy television. Um, I, I will say my wife, I, I will start by blaming it on my wife only slightly. <laughs> she started watching the Paris Hilton gets married to a venture capitalist reality show. Are you familiar uh, with this? It's on Peacock. I, it's oh, like, it's a deep cut. <laughs> it's like, Paris marriage reality show. So Ma- Paris has never been married and she is um, she's marrying a guy named Carter Room. He's a venture capitalist and she has a show on Peacock called Paris and Love. And I watched probably seven episodes. <laughs> and she's electric. She is. She's funny. She's self-aware. She's like she she's she she's she gets it she's a star she's been a star for 20 plus years her family's interesting she's open and honest about like sort of her mom is like overbearing she her mom comes to her like bachelorette party like the whole thing it's like they, she knows what she's fucking doing she wrote the playbook for all these like celebrity influencers she was legitimately the first influencer and so the fact that she's come back to influence for the family brand mwah. Chef's My, Kevin, any thoughts? No thoughts, just wow. Wow. <laughs> My only other thought on it is that from the art direction standpoint of this commercial, 
Paris aside, yeah. I actually think Paris being in it is brilliant, like we just discussed. Yes. But the cleanliness of the hotel in this day and age feels maybe slightly inauthentic. I wouldn't say it feels like it's almost like a design comp, right? Mm. Like if you were an art director, you would have just thrown Paris in there in this like bright white room that's beautifully like the pillows have never been even touched or fluffed or anything. Yes. I just can't remember the last time I stayed at a Hilton where it looked like maybe that. maybe it was that that tidy. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what naysayers will say. They'll be like, when when does Paris Hilton stay at a hotel that <laughs> looks like the Hilton that you would go to? Right. So I guess maybe that's been sort of the issue or the sort of the roadblock for getting her involved. But listen, I just think the commercials I thought were pretty well done. I watched a bunch of them. And there are some that don't even have her in it. And they're 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 whimsical. They're fun. They're sort of yeah. Uh, yeah, they're pretty funny. And I do like Kevin, you'd appreciate this. Hilton for the stay is the tagline. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was pretty strong. I felt like the the whole thing really came together. For I me. agree. Yeah. yeah. As and, the son of a Hilton Honors Reward member, <laughs> I will say that Hilton hotels are exquisite. <laughs> and I've never had a bad time at one. <laughs> Ah, uh, clip it, put it on TikTok. Okay, uh, moving on. Kate Moss is uh, back with uh, Diet Coke. She is now the uh, uh, creative director. Um, I feel like, and so this is uh, celebrating Coke's uh, Diet Coke's 40th anniversary. The Love What You Love campaign will feature four limited edition cans designed by Kate Moss. More than just cans, she will also showcase like films and events, and it's all celebrating sort of the uh, 40 year anniversary. Um, I 40 year anniversary of Diet Coke. I believe of Diet Coke. Um, one thing that's worth noting, and for the viewers, uh, sorry, the listeners at home, is the can packaging. Each can features denim, leopard, they're, so, they're really bad, lace, and camouflage. Which, um, I think the bigger story here is about her being the crave director, um, because I believe she's worked with the brand in the past. But we need to talk about these cans. These cans, this has got to be the first can, can design that I've ever seen in my life that has lace on it. Um, it is it is quite, quite, quite a spectacle. Um, Thomas, how do you feel, how do you feel about uh, celebrity creative directors and uh, lace on can packaging? It's definitely a, uh, it's definitely a first. I don't know if I ever witnessed it, as you said. <laughs> I, which is probably, you know, I think going out on a limb. The rest of the patterns feel like I get it. They go yeah. with fashion. They're part of Kate's kind of uh, probably history in the fashion industry. I think it's just maybe the lace and the leopard that are mm, that are troubling. They just it's interesting. It's an interesting <laughs> approach for the first creative output of Kate Moss. Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, we we've made fun of celebrity creative directors a lot. I mean, I think it's something that like as real creative directors, Thomas, you know, you and I we can we can we can kind of uh, this is a safe space to talk about how we feel about creative directors that, you know, are 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 just famous people. Um I think I'm 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 over like I I, I don't want to be I, I'm over that argument like I think I'm past like being the like what does uh, Kate Moss know about you know sort of soda right like I think listen if they want to bring in a celebrity creative director to help kind of get their artistic eye I think that's 
that's fine. I just think Diet Coke, and I, I imagine this is not a U.S. thing. My pers- my guess is this is probably more of a European partnership. Like I doubt you'll see this kind of stuff in America. I just don't think Kate Moss is that famous here. Like I think she's super famous, but like I, I just don't know if she has that kind of like supermodel sort of uh, clout or superpower now here. But I just don't understand. Like, I feel like Diet Coke is an iconic brand, like 40 years, just like you don't need Kate Moss. Like they used to do this stuff with like Carl Lagerfeld a lot. And like Mark Jacobs um, has been involved with the brand before. And like every time, every time that Diet Coke has done something like this, I just think it never, it just doesn't work for me. I don't know. I just don't understand. Like they're trying to connect Diet Coke with fashion. And I just, I don't know. I don't think the link is there, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I think these cans are hilarious. <laughs> My power they're rankings. Pretty, they're uh, pretty I would, I'm going to take gene. Number one, <laughs> lace. Number two, leopard. Number three. And then, uh, the camo one, I think is the worst. Kevin's got his phone. I was like, Oh man, Kevin's like t- texting while on the podcast. No, I, 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 I haven't been able to stop looking at them. Like <laughs> I'm just enamored. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. They're kind of growing on me. You know, I, I thought at first I would, I didn't know what to say, but over time, I think I would pick it up just out of sheer interest that I would like actually try to touch it thinking it might be a fabric, even yeah. though it's not, it's obviously printed, but you know. I simply can't stop looking at them. <laughs> uh, there was a big, uh, a lot of conversation in the studio about how Julia Fox uh, was wearing like jean shoes and then she was like wearing, you know, jean tops, like uh you know sort of uh denim 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 shoes like um uh like uh uh she was she was heavily uh she was jeekers. Making, like what jeekers what, what, jeekers and she was doing like job jobs yeah yeah she was wearing all sorts of uh gene influenced things this is the very first uh, joda that i've ever seen this is a gene soda <laughs> um so i guess maybe in a weird way this is uh I'm coming around on it, guys. I think you're right. I want, you I know, mm-hmm. Joda could also be a gene-covered Yoda if you really yeah. wanted to go at that route. That's true. So yeah. It didn't naturally flow out of, yeah, it didn't <laughs> flow naturally out of my mouth, but yeah, Joda or a uh, Jan. Um, I don't know, Kevin, help me here. What do what we uh Joka Jola? <laughs> diet I mean, diet joke. That's a joke is pretty good. Um yeah, yeah. What can you say? This is just a spectacular, and uh, I take back anything I said that was critical. This is this is ideal. This is great. This is great stuff. Um, thank you for your power rankings. I'm gonna go um, lace one, uh, gene two, uh, leopard three, and camouflage four. Camouflage is a little tough. I don't know. I don't really think of that as a high fashion supermodel stuff, but maybe I'm wrong. I kind of tend to agree with you. I think. It's a kind of a tie on one and two for me. Jean and Lace are probably yeah. at the top. Leopard. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's just personal preference. Honestly, I think it's well done and tastefully executed. I just feel like potentially it's not my taste. And then I do agree that camo, it's just, yeah. there's something about camo and a Diet Coke can that just doesn't feel right to me. It's like, yeah. a, no, it's like the leopard's almost like to the point <laughs> where it's too corny. But like you kind of appreciate it because it's like, you know, it's not the best, but like, you know, it's kind of endearing in that way. And then the camo is just like, ew, mm. like that's kind of gross. 
Yeah, the lace is really sexy. I think we can all agree there. <laughs> um, that's good stuff. And so um, if I can get my hands on one of those, I will um, for my personal collection of packaging. Um, moving on. Yeah, put it uh, on, the- yeah, put it on the wall of fame, um, which I'm not in front of today. Uh, General Mills uh, is back with uh, Brian Donnelly, who I once sat next to a brunch. Um, his name is Cause. He's an artist and designer. I feel like Cause has been doing a lot of serial stuff. Yeah, he, right? did the re- he did Reese's Buffs last year. Yeah, so Cause has been kind of heavily getting that General Mills money and is back with a collection of count of, of nostalgic kids' favorites. So everything from Frankenberry to Count Chocula to Booberry to Fruit Brute, which I do not um I've never seen that before. Apparently they kind of have his like they have his like trademark style on them and um they're released on Cause's Instagram page and there's no sort of official release date but i think they're you know they're kind of doing the sort of limited edition drop packaging for cereal sure. um kevin thoughts sure <laughs> sure i don't know I, i'm not a big cause guy i think nah. i'm on the record saying that um mm. i personally not a big fan of any of these cereals um so you can miss me with this collab I kind of had the same thought with like, again, cause I think had, had a great run. I think he's a great artist. Like I'll give him uh, some, some praise and some credit. I think the cause brand continues to sort of like fall into the, like the streetwear-ness thing. Cause I think of doing collaborations like this, where it's like, I, I don't know. I don't think it's helping cause I'm sure they're paying him lots of money, but like, I just, I, I think it's taking away from some of the sort of like, if you do a couple, a few too many of these, you start to lose that sort of like, you know, uh, you know, artist credibility and i just think these aren't cereals that i remember eating ever like i I, they're 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 low 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 level cereals at best thomas did you ever have these maybe an unpopular opinion but if i was caused this is where i would have gone first for my first ever collaboration um i i would i mean his his art as you said alex lends itself so well to booberry or Frankenberry <laughs> or Fruit Fruit. That arguably, okay. this seems almost as one of those inevitable designs that should have always been there. And maybe they should just change the characters per- like permanently. This is just what they should be now with the X'd out eyes and um, various typography. I've never had any of these cereals. And I've also never heard of Fruit Fruit. Um, yeah. yeah, that one seems just, like a new one. Yeah, yeah, I don't. The wolf feels very out of place. They want classic characters of Frankenstein dracula ghost and now you have this (laughs) odd werewolf that comes into the picture yeah um yeah but i'll say yeah i mean i'm a fan of cause and everything that he's done in like the art world and i think that um it's 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 always interesting um seeing his stuff out in the world but it is it feels weird to go from like unique low and fashion and all of these other collaborations maybe now into serial like i said maybe if he had gone to serial first and just really captured the general mills audience um could have been a different approach i think it's a good the target demo for this is like children like and do children like cause like me personally i'm younger than you guys and i think you both have an appreciation for cause because of you know the time you, you saw him do his thing and it was cool when you were witnessing it and for me it's like <laughs> shit i i don't feel that way like i think it's I don't because feel that way about cause 
Thomas and I probably, um, and I don't know how old you are, but I assume we're similar age somewhat. Um, yeah. We were introduced to Cosmos' work through his art, right? Like that was the first time you saw his work was like through some of that like um, street art stuff where he was like tagging up uh, sort of uh, ads in on on uh, phone booths, Kevin. Remember, you probably don't remember. There's <laughs> booths where you can make a call in New York City. So he was doing like ads on phone booths and stuff and then sort of started doing the sculptures and some of these things that like I agree with you, Thomas, like his style actually fits perfectly to these characters because like some of his early work were like Simpsons characters with X'd out eyes and sort of very cartoony. So I do think the work, it, like it makes sense. I just think that like, I think the target audience for this, Kevin, is actually like a 16-year-old like supreme, you know, fan uh, who buys this for like $70 on StockX, like which is that yeah, part I mean, is that's the true. part that I, makes me uncomfortable. I, I forgot about the I forgot about these being on StockX. That's kind of where I'm like, I think that's the goal of this. It's like to get this on Hype Beast. And like the story came comes from the die line. Shout out to Die Line, the best place for news and packaging and everything. But like I think I think they're trying to reach that audience. And I think they're just kind of going into their 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 archives of characters and flavors because I've never heard of any of these. Maybe Count Chocula, maybe, but like I think these are, you know, these are low level. Uh, it feels these are like there's full. It feels like they're almost like spinning a wheel, like, and they have like a bunch of artists on <laughs> on the on one wheel, and then they have a bunch of like brands on the other wheel. Yeah, and then these ones just happen to line mm-hmm. up. I think they would be a lot sexier if they had some lace on them. I think that's what we can all agree, right? Just a little bit more lace. Uh, Thomas, really quickly, we have two more stories. I know uh, we probably need to get you out of here. Uh, one is one is p- big for 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 you as a former street green uh, sort of creative director, and uh, for all of us um, as millennials. Kevin uh, pretends like he's Gen Z. He's just a younger millennial. I being an older millennial. That's the concept of the show. An old millennial, uh, old millennial, and a young millennial. Um, walk into a bar. Um, this story also comes to the dial line, and it is introducing. You ready for this? The Ecovado, which bit of a clumsy name, but it is an eco-friendly avocado. You ready for this? I'll I'll just read it for for us and uh, the viewers at home. The avocado has become a modern day cultural icon, synonymous with hipster cafes and trendy Instagram posts. However, avocado production is energy intensive, resource intensive. Each avocado requires 320 liters of water and grow and harvest. Ecovado is an alternative to avocado that employs design thinking. Oh boy, here we go. We love to help that. Consumers, we love design thinking to help customers reduce the amount of avocado they eat by introducing them to unfamiliar yet more diverse ingredient combinations. Okay, now I'm more confused. Is this a new avocado or is this not? I'm seeing that the skin is made of wax. Okay. Um, okay. Um, it uses wax to protect the fleshy insides made from beans, fruit, and oil. So it's a fake avocado. And so this article says human ingenuity has made it possible to create all kinds of fakes and simulations that are so convincing they are hard to distinguish from what they imitate. Ecovado is an imitation that tries to improve upon reality, not merely reproduce it. Red flag alert right there. Um, and hopefully it will fool even the most sensitive of hipster taste buds. Yeah. Another red flag. This is don't fucking patronize me. So right up, right off the bat, I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then why does it have like a pit in the middle? Pit seems like it, unnecessary. Right. The pit is the, the part of the avocado that you could never use. So if this is just artificial avocado. Why does it even have a, a pit? It could just have full avocado. Oh, That's shit. true. Apparently it's a nut. So you can fully eat it. That's <laughs> like a lot of everything. They yeah, just smashed a walnut in front of, into 
a bean paste is essentially what we're saying. Walnuts yes. and hazelnuts. I'm glad we figured this out um, because this is a simulated avocado that looks vaguely like an avocado in that it's black on the outside, green on the inside, and has some sort of pit, which is actually now we figured out a walnut. Um, this, I got to say, right? So we work with Simulate um, and uh, have worked on some sort of plant-based foods and the sort of advancements in sort of science and the advancements of technology and being, you know, using those to advance foods or try to replicate foods is really interesting. And I think it's actually going to sort of continue. Um, there's a great show um, on, uh, I think it's on Hulu. David Chang did a show. It's like the next thing you eat. It's sort of about how, you know, food and science, and all this stuff is in technology coming together. I think this is, I think this is super interesting. Um, I would certainly want to try it. Definitely I just don't, I, I don't looking at the photos and getting some, like just looking at the textures here. I'm, I'm concerned that this is going to taste nothing like an avocado. Similarly to uh, Kevin and I uh, tried the better bagel, Thomas. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. That we is haven't. a, um, if you want to do a quick little Google, check out better bagel. It is a, a D to C bagel company, which has like less carbs. No, it, um, it basically has zero carbs. It is a healthy bagel. And it's very similar in taste to a bagel, except it tastes nothing like a bagel at all. Um, but it is interesting to see sort of like beta concepts, which is what I think this is, or at least what this one feels like. The better bagel is actually a real business, so maybe they should try to figure out that stuff before they actually put it out there in people's hands. Um, this this looks like a concept. And I think, in fact, it's actually, I'm looking at the, it's, it's, it's created by an artist named Arena Shakua, and she is a designer and maker. So did we so, get God here? No, we didn't get God. I think we, we are, we're just sharing the news and figuring it out in real time. Thomas, if what are your it, thoughts? If yeah. this is real, yeah. it, let's just assume it is, because that makes the conversation more interesting, but. Um, it is real. <laughs> I. I think you shouldn't blame millennials, first off, of the avocado issue. I think... Um, Sweet green is the blame. You blame the boomers. <laughs> I think you should blame people who, like, renamed it from, I don't know, alligator pear to avocado. Like, if it was still wow. called alligator pear, I feel like people would be like, oh, I'm not touching that. That feels dangerous and scaly. As soon as you mm. call it avocado, it's super friendly. I think that's... That's a hot take. I think is that what it used to be called? Sorry to cut you off. Is that what it used to be called? An avocado, yeah, like, an alligator pear. Did yeah, you? it's like one. It, it, it's weirdly working at a food company. You start to research this more and more. But like throughout the history of food, things like including fish, uh, fruit, uh, vegetables, etc., get renamed so that there is larger mass adoption of something that feels foreign to people, right? And so suddenly you rename things. Like, like an avocado uh, that okay. used to be called alligator pear, or I think there's all sorts of fish. Fish is like a really popular one because it's like you know bottom mm. feeding sucker fish, and then people are like, call it mahi mahi. People Chilean love it. Sea and bass like, is a big one, right? Yeah. Chilean sea bass. There's all there's all sorts, but um, I think I think naming right is like also something that is just like comes into play here, where you're just like, well, it sounds so friendly. Put it on everything, mm. and. I don't think you can blame millennials for that because it happened way before us. Um, I agree with you on the photo. The photo itself looks so off-putting. It does look like I'm going to bite into styrofoam. And I think yeah. if the goal is to try to get people to 
not eat avocados, which look delicious every time I look at them. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be a hard sell on like a walnut inside of a bean paste that has like a monosaturated filter over top of it. Yeah. It almost looks like a soap from Lush. (laughs) (laughs) It does. You're right. You know how, yeah. When Lush puts out those sort of like realistic looking like bath bombs that look like an eggplant, like this is, this does look like a bath bomb. I will say though, conceptually, I'm here for this project or an idea. And I think, you know, Ecovado, a little, little tricky of a name, but I like it. And I think, you know, putting the it could catch know, Windsor typeface and some of these photos, like I, I think it's I think it's working for me. Um, and uh, I think it's a good concept, but I think all of us can kind of look through this, look at these images and be like, oh, boy, this is going to taste nothing like an avocado. The question we gotta, is, we got to try it. If you slice it up, there's one photo here that I think is looking kind of tasty to me. It's on bread with like salt and red pepper. I wonder if you mash it up, right? And maybe yeah, you, you kind of get you put an egg on top, you throw some feta cheese, you know, you kind of like dress it up. Like, can you can you disguise this taste? And then maybe, maybe you got something here. But <laughs> yeah. I think you also touched on like the carbon footprint thing, I think, within their article, right? They're talking yes. a lot about the the avocado's carbon footprint. But I think some of the other industries you touched on when it comes to like beef comes to mind mm, as like one yes. of the biggest problem areas for uh, any company that's trying to either get to like net carbon neutral or um, or just yeah carbon efficiencies in general. It's like it, the focus should not maybe be as heavily on avocados and maybe think more about like the beef and dairy industry because of how much worse that is. Um, obviously you outlined kind of some of the work that you've done, but I think that's always the thing that I think I've learned is that the, there's a reason why on eco-conscious brands, food menus specifically, if they're really eco-conscious, they'll lean away from certain cheeses, beef and others, pork. Yeah. I think though those those products, the, all the ones you mentioned, are like there's so much venture capital, millions of dollars, startups. Like everyone is circling around making better chicken, making better beef, making better fish. Like you know, alternative meats are like a, a, a huge you know sort of a booming market right now. Alternative foods, just in general, and this is the first alternative avocado I've ever seen. So I agree with you. Like it's probably not the top top priority for designers and you know tech food scientists to be worrying about. But I think there could be a world where like a lot of the foods that we love, whether they're meat or fish or, or even vegetables can be replaced, simulated by things that taste as good as they do. Um, I think the problem is they may, they're probably, they're just going to taste a little bit. (laughs) They're going to taste worse slightly and that this one is going to taste significantly worse until they get to that one in like five years or 10 years where you're like, oh, it's an avocado, but it's actually one of these new avocados that actually um, is better for you and better for the planet. Kind of like the plastic straw. Yeah. So you would DTC this? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm saying I think someone will. I think someone will. I think people love avocados. I think avocado toasts are delicious. I think guacamole is delicious. Um, I think that avocados are beloved for a reason, and it's because they're delicious. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And they go really great on you know on on things, and people feel good about eating them. So if people want them, people will find a way to make them. 
I think we're just going to have to like try some really weird, bad ones at first. And it's kind of like alternative chicken. Yeah. Like, you know, when it first came out, it was like, whoa, this doesn't taste anything like chicken at all. And like, we're getting closer. So I think it'll be a number of years before we get to a better avocado. But like, you know, I was using the paper straw or the, pla- you know, plastic straws were, you know, enemy number one. And now, and you're like trying these paper straws and there's like falling apart. And you're like, well, this isn't the solution. And now there's like eco friendly straws that feel like plastic, but are not plastic. And I think that's just, that's just evolution in time, baby. Um, speaking of look at it, time. Alex. Yeah. Thank you. Um, last story of the day comes from the, uh, good folks that are under consideration, brand new. And, uh, this is a rebrand for the quarter. Um, it's, uh, a, on it has a portrait of George Washington, uh, for years and years and years, he has faced left. And, uh, now we have a sort of a closer crop on George Washington and he is facing, uh, right. Um, I think this is uh, (laughs) last neck. Um, I think this is a great improvement. Um, uh, (laughs) my big question is why, (laughs) why did we need to do this? I don't think either of you have the answer, but um, Kevin, what do you think about this? Why do you? How do you feel about this? Uh, this uh, this this um, upgrade of, of of our quarter. They should have put somebody else's face on it. Yeah, that's all. I'll say. I don't. I don't really care that much. Um, I I also noticed the neck, like just from a visual perspective. Yes, I agree with. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, but I noticed they the it neck up too. Is, yeah, it's so thick. His traps are so big. <laughs> and like yeah. he's just hit the gym. I think George has hit the gym like no other. <laughs> he kind of looks like you guys ever seen the mask? Like it's kind of like Dorian from like the mask, like Jim Carrey, you know, when uh, okay. the evil villain like puts mm. on the mask. He's like three times the size of his neck, like of Jim Carrey. I don't know. I just have this feeling that mm. they gave him some kind of workout regime where yeah, yeah. It's a much thicker neck. Yeah, he looks considerably buffer. You bring up a good point. Um, I'm not familiar with the character in in, in the Jim Carrey classic, The Mask, um, or Mask. Um, I have I have seen it, but probably um, it's been 20, 20 something years. Um, but I, I agree with you. Now that I now that you've mentioned it, I cannot stop looking at. It. I was actually more drawn to the ponytail, which mm. kind of and the hair, right? Because in the old quarter, it kind of had like more of this like kind of curl in the back. And now it's a little bit more kind of comes to this like thick uh, ponytail in the back. And I kind of, that was distracting me from the neck. If you look, if you look closer, um, he has a ponytail in the original quarter. It just goes down, yeah. but yeah. you get distracted by like the, whatever the curl Bob he has, whatever kind of <laughs> hairstyle you want to call that. Yeah. Um, but the ponytail is still there. They've mm. removed the curl bob, as you called it. I think that's the technical term. The curl bob has kind of been removed, and now it's a little bit more messy. It's a little bit more surfer on the side, if you will. Yeah. If you kind of look at the fluffiness <laughs> on by his ear. Yeah, I'm. What I'm doing now is reading the brand new comments because um, brand new has arguably one of the best comment sections in, in the world, and uh, they're bringing up some good points. One is. Um, they did not remove in God we trust, um, which, you know, maybe that, you know, does, it, but it, it did 
um, go from a <laughs> the typeface became a condensed typeface because they had to sneak it in around George's <laughs> neck. So the in God we trust type just got squished and then put on three lines versus where it was before, which was on two lines. So um, shout out to the brand new article um, or comment section for sort of bringing that to my attention as well because you know it really we're design podcast, so we should talk about how the uh, the the type. Um, Who is the creative squished. director for the uh, the currency in this country, and why did they say, "Yeah, we're gonna go ahead and beef up this guy's <laughs> neck. We're gonna make him look like an absolute fucking unit." <laughs> that was actually my first question, Kevin. Not about the neck, but was like, "Who is the creative de- yeah. director of the coins in this country?" Is it whose portfolio is this like, going yeah. in? <laughs> what graphic designer got this job and was like, "Oh, baby, here we go. Like, I got an idea." Um, it must have been Michael Beirut. Yeah, I feel like I feel like this is a job for someone like uh, Pentagram or potentially even someone like Wolf Olins. I feel like this is this is the type of stuff that Thomas uh, is going to be working on in his new job. <laughs> um, you know, because the big brands, the big you know, the big the big companies that run this world, uh, Wolf Olins, and uh, you know, so I think maybe uh, you know, when, once uh, once you get crack into the inside there, Thomas, you can kind of give us all the insights and all the uh, exciting news of what's going on in, uh, in, in, in the agency world. But honestly, um, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for, uh, for giving us your takes and telling us your stories. We really appreciate it. Um, any, any last words for the, uh, for the fans out there before uh, we, we, we break out of here. I wish I could do kind of, you know, like a, a salad bowl throw into the audience, right? Like Oprah mm. style, where like everyone gets a sweet green salad. But as yeah. you said, I, I've moved on, so I just don't have that power anymore. But I Got appreciate any discount all codes. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best after the show. Uh, Pro- promo code front end center, put it in in your sweet green order and see what happens. <laughs> no, nothing's going to happen, unfortunately. <laughs> No, um, I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, thank yeah, you. Thank I know you we've been trying on. to make it for three months, but mm-hmm. I I really appreciate it. Yeah, this one goes out to all the other people that are sort of in the uh, holding pattern of uh, talking to me about being on the show. Uh, just know that the uh, the average wait time is about thirty minutes, just like a sweet green. Boom! That's how you close oh, yeah. a show. That's called closure. Shut it down. We'll see. If you really want to get on the show? Email me, Kevin. <laughs> Talk to Kevin. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm too busy and uh but no thank you Thomas uh we appreciate you and uh yeah if you're in New York uh stop on by the studio we'd love to kick it we'd love to Sounds take you guys. to the uh knockoff sweet green by our oh, <laughs> can we can we can we pause the show right now okay show's over <laughs>